We're in the fourth week of our current message series that we've been calling Dangerous Prayer. Dangerous Prayer, that phrase sounds like an oxymoron, rather like small crowd, old news, open secret, deafening silence, dangerous prayer. We don't usually think of it that way. We think of prayer as comforting and familiar, grace before meals to invoke a blessing, or traditional devotions that give expression to faith and provide encouragement for living. Dangerous prayer is different. Dangerous prayers make specific requests to God. When we pray dangerous prayers, we're very, very clear about our petitions. Dangerous prayers require us to stretch our faith and trust in God. They take us to places in our relationship with God that we've never been before. Dangerous prayers rely on God's power and presence. We expect to hear from God in dangerous prayer. Dangerous prayer means you're all in. They're cries from the heart. They connect with the deepest desires of our heart. Dangerous prayers search your soul. They break your habits. They change your path and set you in the direction of the more that God has in store. They move mountains, work wonders, expect miracles kind of prayer. Well, as we launched this series, we acknowledged that some prayers seem to work and others do not, in the sense that they don't seem to affect what they propose, which is actually true of everything we undertake in life. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So that fact alone need not dissuade or discourage us from renewed efforts in prayer. Actually, in the course of this series, we're focusing on praying more, as in praying more, more skillfully, more prayerfully, more effectively. And so we challenged you to identify one dangerous prayer, just one dangerous prayer that you could focus on in the course of this series. We're talking about a prayer that needs God to come through. It needs God to show up in order to make it happen. And next week, we're going to give you an opportunity to share your prayer, if that's appropriate, if you're comfortable, to share your prayer and any outcomes that you've experienced. More on that next week. Two weekends ago, we looked at prayer for healing. Turns out a big part of Jesus' ministry was all about healing. And we reflected together that that same Jesus who touched and changed people, who impacted people 2,000 years ago, still can today. He heals through prayer. For your information, we have a healing prayer service scheduled for next Saturday. Check it out on our website. Last week, we looked at the power of what we called a morning offering. A morning offering is simply a simple prayer. First thing in the day, offering the day. And our whole self to God in the course of the day. It's an ancient Christian custom. And it can be a powerful one, too, for specific examples of morning offerings. You can check that out on our website as well. This week, we're going to look at dangerous prayer when it comes to provision. Provision. Or more simply stated, money. 
You and I are constantly reminded of our need for money regarding every area of our lives. Our culture tells us cash is king. Now, we don't agree with that because we know Christ is king. But we do acknowledge that cash is crucial. And ironically, while we have this constant need for resources, we don't always think of bringing those needs to God. Many Catholics in particular, I think, seem reticent to turn to God in a meaningful way when it comes to provision. Just seems unworthy of prayer. Surely God has better things to do. Instead of turning to God, we proceed all alone and on our own to meet our needs, and sometimes it doesn't work out so well for us. But God actually encourages us to to invite him into our finances. Over and over again, the Bible tells stories of people who act in concert with God when it comes to provision, sometimes with amazing results. Today's gospel reading is the beautiful story of the widow's might, the widow's offering in the, in the temple treasury, perfectly illustrating this point working with God when it comes to our money. But we're going to take a closer look at another story taken from the first book of Kings, which was today's first reading. The first and second book of Kings take us through the histories of the kings of Judah and Israel, many of whom were quite evil in the sight of God. Perhaps uh, the worst one of all, was a king of Israel named Ahab. Ahab did some pretty bad things. And as punishment for his wickedness, God sends a drought over the land. The punishment is announced to the king by the prophet Elijah, which, as you can imagine, did not go over very well with Ahab. So Elijah had to get out of town fast. In hiding, Elijah manages to eke out his sustenance as the drought continues. But then, God tells Elijah to leave his hiding place and what little security he had found there and go to a place called Zarephath where an unnamed widow would be giving him provision. Now, this is a strange directive at face value. Widows were almost always poor in that culture. They couldn't hold jobs or own property, so they were reduced to relying on the charity of others. Turning to a widow for charity, especially under the extreme circumstances of a drought, just didn't make much sense. It was counterintuitive. However, Elijah obeys, and that's where we pick the story up. In those days, Elijah the prophet went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the entrance to the city, a widow was gathering sticks there. He called to her, please give me a small cup of water to drink. So Elijah goes as God commands, and the very first person he sees in town, as it turns out, is the aforesaid widow, identifiable by her widow's garb. She's collecting sticks to make a fire the act of foraging, confirming her extreme poverty. 
Elijah's request for water is no small ask in a time of drought. And that she complies without question or hesitation suggests great generosity, godly generosity. Elijah's ask was a big one, but then he has another one. She left to get the water, and he called out to her, please bring along a bit of bread. She answered, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. There is only a handful of flour in my jar and a little oil in my jug. Just now I was collecting a couple of sticks to go in and prepare something for myself and my son. When we have eaten, we shall die. The drought and ensuing famine have devastated her livelihood such as it was, and she's resigned to death. But Elijah said to her, fear not, go and do as you propose, but first, and take note of that, but first make me a little cake and bring it to me. Then you can prepare something for yourself and your son. For the Lord God of Israel says, the jar of flour shall not go empty, nor the jug of oil run dry until the day when the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Fear not. It's one of the most repeated phrases in the Bible. It's in there 365 times, one day for every day of the year. I suppose that means you can be afraid one day every leap year. Perhaps nothing strikes fear in the human heart like a lack of provision. In our relative affluence, probably most all of us have never experienced this in any kind of meaningful way. That is, until the onset of the COVID crisis last year, with suddenly empty store shelves and frightening tales of worse to come for a brief period of time, we had some insight into what a fear of, of, of lack of provisions feels like. The widow has next to nothing and no hope of more, and Elijah tells her to give what she's got to him, and in return, she'll receive everything she needs. It's completely counterintuitive, just like God's request to Elijah himself, underscoring the point that God's ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts, and to work with God, we're going to have to be willing to think differently. Apparently, the widow was. She left and did as Elijah said. She was able to eat for a year, and he and her son as well. The jar of flour did not go empty, nor the jug of oil run dry, as the Lord foretold through Elijah. Not only does God, as promised, provide for her immediate need, he provided more. When we first meet her, she's groveling for kindling on the side of the road. Later in the first book of Kings, we meet her again. And this time, she's in the middle of a home renovation and expansion project. She goes from broke to affluent in her obedience to God. You know, there are two times in life when it can be tough to trust God with money. When we've got it and when we don't. When I'm struggling, it can be very difficult to believe 
Giving will open me up to God's provision. Even though my way isn't working so well for me, letting go of money in those circumstances can seem crazy. Ironically, it can be even more difficult to trust God when I've amassed wealth or have achieved financial margin. Statistics show that the more wealth someone has, the less likely they are to give to God in any kind of meaningful way. A lot or a little, we forget that all we have comes from God, and when we give, we're simply returning to him what he's given us. Around here, we talk a lot, you've heard it before, about steps. Steps are the actual practical things we think we need to do to grow as disciples. And one of our steps is practice. Practice prayer and the sacraments. We use that word practice, not just in the sense of repetition, but also application. Because prayer can reveal the next action steps to take when we want to partner with God. Often, he'll require something from you first, just like the widow. Often, he'll require something from you first. Not something impossible, just something out of the ordinary. Maybe something counterintuitive to your way of doing things. Sometimes it's so simple, we can barely believe it'll make any difference or have any impact at all. Sometimes it's so simple, it's hard to believe that it's even from God. And when it comes to provision, often God will tell us specifically to release resources ahead of his blessing. A while back, we were dealing with some financial issues here at the parish. Not so much problems as challenges, specifically as a, a one challenge. And it was weighing on me and consuming a lot of energy and thought. One day, I was downtown for a meeting with the archdiocese related to this situation. And I don't mind telling you, I was not looking forward to the meeting. I remember kind of quietly praying to myself, God, why don't you just take care of this for me? God, why don't you just take this away from me? Why do I have to deal with this at all? That was my prayer. Now, as I was walking, a young man, well-dressed, polite-looking, approached me very timidly, very meekly, very shyly. And he asked me, with some embarrassment, for a very specific, very small amount of money. The whole encounter seemed different than other ones I'd had before, but even so, such encounters make me very uncomfortable, and I usually try to step away politely, but as quickly as possible. And yet, in that moment, and with some clarity, I heard, this is my son. And then, just as clearly, give him all the money you have in your wallet right now. And I responded very reverently and, and piously, no way. <laughs> then, 
louder and clearer. This is my son. Give him all the money you have in your wallet right now and don't stop to count it. So I did. I think the guy was more surprised than I was. He was so taken aback, he started to cry, which was about the only other thing that could have made me even more uncomfortable and embarrassed than I already was at this point. So in embarrassment, I began to walk away, and a few moments later, he comes running after me, and, he, and he's crying even harder now than before, and he hugs me. And all I can think of is, dear God, how much did I give him? <laughs> Bottom line, I, <laughs> I did give him a very nice amount of money. The meeting went well. And that problem that seemed insurmountable disappeared. Connect the dots if you want to or not if you don't. But as far as I'm concerned, dangerous prayer comes at a cost, and one way or another, it pays off.